In the 18th century, two curious objects from Asia hung near a staircase in the anatomy school of Oxford University. The first was a mysterious Chinese map acquired by an English lawyer named John Selden, who donated it to Oxford's Bodleian Library in 1659. This hand-drawn map, land sketched out in black ink, ocean waters in the uneven green color that results when blue pigment has long oxidized away, is unique in the history of map making. Most Chinese maps of this era place their home country firmly at the center of the world. The Middle Kingdom, or Zhongguo, as the Chinese call their nation. The Selden map, however, depicts Southeast Asia, and through lines that connect various ports and harbors, it shows the vast trade network that crisscrossed its islands. In fact, the landmass of Luzon, little painted Cordillera Mountains blooming across its forehead, Visayas and Mindanao crunched indecipherably below its tailbone, the familiar long arm of Palawan broken into separate islands. All of these occupied the entire right side of the map. The second object, hung right next to this map, was a fragment of preserved skin. It had been cut from the dead body of a slave purchased in Mindanao. His remarkable tattoos still visible for all scholars to see. For 381 years, the islands of the Philippines were occupied by conquistadors, missionaries, merchants, soldiers, spies, and colonizers of every stripe. That's 381 years of history, and we're here to talk about the stories lost in between the cracks of the centuries. This is Occupy Pilipinas, Episode 5, A Tattooed Prince, A Tattooed Slave. Tattoos from tribal pagan cultures were a source of endless fascination for those who lived in the teeming cities of Christianized Europe. When the Spanish conquerors arrived in the Philippines, they even called the native Visayans Pintados, after the tradition of body ink. Observe the soldier Miguel de Loarca, one of the first conquistadors in the Philippines. The men tattoo their entire bodies with very beautiful figures, using small pieces of iron dipped in ink. This ink incorporates itself with the blood, and the marks are indelible. In 1566, French explorers captured an Inuit woman and her daughter near the Arctic Circle and took them to Antwerp, which at that time was part of the Netherlands. There, they were put on display like zoo animals for eight months. Posters of the mother and child spread as far as Augsburg, Germany, labeled with a sickening showman's flair as a true portrait of a savage woman with her little daughter found in the district called Nova Terra and brought to Antwerp and recently publicly seen there, and still to be seen. The illustration clearly highlighted their blue facial tattoos. More than a century later, a similar poster made the rounds in London. This time, the illustration was that of a single man, 
dressed only in a loincloth, standing in the sinuous contrapposto style of Renaissance sculpture. He had one leg bent, his head slightly askance, and his left hand was cocked at the waist while the other flowed outwards from the curve of his body. But while he was posed like a Greek god, this figure was like nothing else that had ever been seen in the city before. The playbill stated, His whole body, except face, hands, and feet, is curiously and most exquisitely painted or stained, full of variety of invention, with prodigious art and skill performed. The illustrator, a man named John Savage, rendered the tattoos in precise detail. On the man's chest are narrow symmetrical strips of checkerboard design, while spiky rings encircle his armpits. Running down his forearms are bands filled with zigzagging patterns, like the scales of a snake, which also repeat throughout his shins. Rising up from his calves, almost reaching into his groin, are great waves and fins. London came to know this mysterious tattooed man as Prince Giolo, the just wonder of the age. The advertisement asked, What wisdom and ancient learning may lie veiled under those curious figures and mysterious characters scattered up and down his body? As soon as he arrived in London in 1692, legend grew quickly around Prince Giolo. His back isn't shown in the poster, but it was said that, quote-unquote, a lively representation of one quarter part of the world was tattooed in between his shoulders, including a map of the North Pole. His tattoos were also said to protect him against venom, and that snakes and poisonous insects did him no harm. Giolo's fame grew so great that the king ordered him to be brought into his court for an audience. More astonishing details were uncovered by a mysterious writer who purportedly met with Giolo to ferret out his life story. Through a Dutch merchant conversant in the Celebian language, he spoke with a tattooed man who, after a melancholy sigh, narrated his colorful adventures. This is the story told by Prince Giolo. The prince came from an island called Gilolo and worshipped one almighty god who was served by 33 angels with names like Sheherever, Audibehest, and Ragdust. He was sailing with his family when he was captured by raiders and became a slave in the kingdom of Tominic. The inhabitants of that kingdom were, according to Giolo, tall and comely, of a curious ruddy color given much to piracy. They were also atheists, but Giolo said that they also sometimes worshipped devils. Despite these religious differences, he fell in love with their princess, Terhenahete. The displeased king sent Terhenahete away, and Giolo escaped to find her, arriving just in time to save her from a lascivious, murderous captor. In gratitude, her uncle offered to set him free, but he stubbornly stayed to woo the princess, telling her, There may be greater princess, and there are more fortunate that make their addresses to you, but there can't be a greater lover. 
The story goes on and on in a similar fashion and was quickly thrown together into a book that ran hot off the printing presses. The authorship of this slim volume is generally attributed to Thomas Hyde, a noted Oxford scholar of the time, although many contest this. Of course, nothing written on those pages was true. Just like the disgusting sideshow industry that was being erected around the tattooed man, the book was complete and utter bullshit. Giolo's real name, as narrated by the man who brought him to London, was Gioli. He was not born in Gilolo, but rather Miangas, an island just 70 kilometers from the coast of what is now Davao Oriental. In his story, there were no princesses, there were no angels, there were only slavers who captured him and his mother out at sea, stripped them of their gold earrings, and sold the two in Mindanao. Eventually, the pair were bought for $60 by one Mr. Moody, who later passed on ownership to William Dampier, a man who inspired the character of Robinson Crusoe. Dampier and Jolly would often converse in Malayan. The Englishman may even have felt a connection was growing between him and his newly acquired chatter. When mother and son got sick, he wrote in his memoirs that he took as much care of them as if they had been my brother and sister. Jolly's mother, however, never recovered. Dampier tried his best to comfort his slave, but the tattooed man wrapped himself up in his mother's clothes and was inconsolable. When they arrived in London, whatever brotherly bond the buccaneer felt was quickly brushed aside for business considerations. Dampier recalled, I, being in want of money, was prevailed upon to sell first part of my share in him and by degrees all of it. After this, I heard he was carried about to be shown as a sight. Gioli, or as the posters proclaimed him, Giolo, the famous painted prince, was kept at the Blue Boar Inn at Fleet Street, where the curious could gawk at this lonely and silent slave with the strange markings on his skin. After just three months in England, Gioli died of smallpox in Oxford. For the sake of science, the university decided that they would preserve his skin. According to Gemma Angel of UCL in London, this was the first documented instance of the collection and preservation of tattooed human skin as an anatomical curiosity in England. Theophilus Pointer, Oxford's most successful surgeon, was appointed to this grisly task. Gioli's skin was hung like a piece of ink paper beside Selden's singular map of China. Historian Timothy Brook said that the two became, quote-unquote, strange wall fellows, paired as Asian curiosities for the edification of scientific visitors. Selden's map survives up to the present day, but Gioli's skin has long been lost. However, Myang As, the small island that Gioli called his home, still occasionally makes Philippine news. Also known as Isla de las Palmas, it is the northernmost island of Indonesia, stretching
straddling the boundary between our two countries. It is one of several maritime crossing points where residents can travel passport-free across the fluid borders. Being close to mainland Mindanao, many of its residents speak Bisaya or tune into Filipino radio stations, according to newsbreak reporter Jorina Velasco. At times, however, the close contact between the two countries can create friction, dating back to a 1925 dispute when the U.S. and the Netherlands, our respective colonizers, laid claim to the island. In May 2005, an unprecedented expression of dissent put Biang As on the map, reported Velasco in 2007. Outrage at the murder of a local official caused some locals to take down the Indonesian flag and briefly wave the Philippine one. The incident, however, was quickly resolved. Myang As and its residents continue to make indelible marks on history, like an ink needle piercing the skin. This podcast was written and created by Leo Mangubat for Summit Books. It was recorded and engineered by Ayus and Anya Reyes and produced by Kim Gunn. It is based on my series of historical articles originally published in Esquire Philippines. For this episode about the tattooed slave from Mindanao, I have based this narrative primarily on Timothy Brooks' 2015 book, Mr. Selden's Map of China, as well as William Dampier's book, a new voyage around the world. A few parts have been embellished for dramatic purposes. Tune in next week on Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts for a new episode of Occupy Pilipinas.